the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 245. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Paddy Buckley. Hey, Paddy, great to have you back on the show. Now, it's been a little while, so uh, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into the world of, uh, well, tech and entertainment here in New Zealand. Sure. So I run QuickFlix uh, is the short answer. QuickFlix movie and TV streaming. Excellent. And your, now your service is uh, what's called subscription video on demand as well as pay-per-view content, isn't it? So it's a little bit different to the others in the market locally? That's right. So you have in the market at the moment, you have uh, generally your either subscription or your pay-per-view. Subscription would be the likes of uh, Netflix and Neon and Lightbox and so on. And pay-per-view would be more like iTunes and Google Play and so on. And we offer both. Okay. Both models, yeah. So one app that does both. All right, well, we'll dive in and uh, maybe ask you a few more questions uh, for an update later on. But sure. let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, now, to start with, we were chatting earlier around um, what's happening with ad-blocking uh, types of technologies and iOS 9. So those who have an iPhone right now, uh, it's quite possible, or an iPad, uh, to try out the new version of the, um, the iOS software. And uh, some of those who have been testing it have shared some reasonably dramatic uh, results from uh, from using some new filtering software tied in uh, with iOS nine. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because you know, one figure we were discussing earlier was that in uh, I think it might be the German market. It's um, it's been suggested that up to sixty five percent of people, certainly on the on their desktop browsers, are now blocking um, blocking advertising. Yeah. So I, I actually I heard that in a meeting I went to last week, and I was I was fascinated. It wasn't a uh, oh I didn't didn't appreciate I don't think the quite how high that number was. Um, so look, I, I mean, I I see this only escalating. Um, I think from a user perspective, it's, uh, you know, there is the potential there to speed up your browsing experience. I guess it's more relevant on on mobile devices. Um, So that's pretty interesting. But, you know, from a commercial perspective, I guess I guess you're looking for sort of a sustainable business model for, you know, for websites and things like that. And again, that's really interesting. And I don't know exactly where it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, the concept of, uh, you know, most most of our online media, like, in, you know, in New Zealand, talking, uh, you know, the New Zealand Herald, stuff.co.nz, and, and lots of much smaller sites, um, you know, the concept of how they operate is, you know, largely down to, from a revenue perspective, down to the, you know, the paid advertising. Uh, of course, we've got the National Business Review or nbr.co.nz here, uh, who have been on a subscription model for quite some some time, uh, and that seems to be working reasonably well for them. Uh, and of course, it's been mooted for a long time that uh, New Zealand Herald and stuff are going to move to a, uh, a subscription model or a, or a paywall, as they call it. Uh, and I think it's just been uh, announced in recent days that uh, you know New Zealand Herald will have that in place in some form by the end of end of this year. So, uh, you know, how important I wonder will that advertising uh, revenue be? Uh, going forward or are we going to have to get used to uh, paying for everything I mean it's certainly got to create some pressures if you know it becomes easier and easier for people to uh, miss out on seeing the ads yeah for sure and I mean I think the point about the paywall is that if a paywall is brought in you would expect to see a a commensurate sort of drop in in the level of digital advertising that you're served with 
otherwise you're you're asking yourself okay you know what's going on there so 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 the paywall comes in the digital ads are, are they come down but you know free websites are, are still going to continue to operate uh and you're wondering where their where their revenue is going to come from yeah, well, um, interestingly, Owen Williams, who uh, is a Kiwi, who's recently moved to the Netherlands, um, we've got a couple of things from him actually I wanted to talk about uh, on this episode, but he's put an article online on, on the Next Web, who he writes for, uh, and he's been testing out iOS 9 uh, with Crystal, and what it, what it, what Crystal does uh, is it, it promises to speed up your browsing speed on your iPhone or your iOS uh, device. And it does that by not just removing the ads, but also, uh, you know, various uh, scripts and uh, trackers. So it lightens up the the load, really, for, uh, uh, for your content. And there's been a whole bunch of uh, tests that have been done with Crystal. And uh, I was, you know, looking through his article on the Next Web and the page load uh, times with Crystal, you know, blocking out all, you know, what what Crystal's deciding is unnecessary content. Uh, in most cases, is is really dramatically cutting the load time of the pages. Now, you know, it's kind of fascinating how long some. Uh, you know, some pages actually take uh, to load. So one of the shortest was the New York Times at about three seconds. Uh, but with Crystal running, that cut the page load time down closer to one second. Uh, there were other sites like, um, what do we have, The Verge and Macworld. Those ones were, uh, you know, closer to 15 seconds. And when uh, Crystal was loaded... Their, uh, their their load time was certainly under five seconds. So, yeah, some some pretty so third. Dr- dramatic, yeah. uh, you know, reductions. And yeah, in most cases, it looked like yeah, uh, uh, you know, twenty to to thirty percent of the original uh, load time. So yeah, kind of fascinating. I mean, it is worth noting that you know sometimes you don't have to wait for a page to load entirely for it to you know be be useful to you. And I don't remember sitting there and, and seeing many web pages that take 15 seconds to actually load on my device. So, but Was he talking about a, that, that over 3G? Um, I'm not sure that it was actually clear the connection but these were these were just in these yeah particular tests so yeah i think the reality will vary according to what sort of connection you're over yep. and and you know what page you're you're loading uh but yeah i thought you know it was it was pretty no actually he's saying he loaded the sites over um over lte or, or 4g uh in uh in safari so yeah kind of uh, kind of fascinating actually Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of examples and quite an interesting um, you know article there uh, around this. So yeah, if you're interested, have a look at the uh, the next web for for that one. I was interested that the well when this um, when this was quoted to me as something that was going on in particular in Germany. I don't know what it is about Germany, or I also don't know you know what the sort of timeline is for this sort of thing to be more prevalent in NZ. Yeah, I mean, I think there there is a more technically inclined audience that is, uh, you know, very that are very keen to sort of block ads, you know, already here in New Zealand. 
Uh, but when it, you know, when you spin it round to improving the load times, and it's not just getting rid of the ads because some people just don't like seeing ads, uh, and they would get rid of them regardless. But you know, I think the broader audience, if you can, you know, lighten the load on your uh, your mobile connection, and looking at these differences in load times, you wonder, well, how much data is that going to save as well? Yeah. You know, if that cuts in half the amount of data that you use, then you're when you're, uh, you know, accessing the web from your mobile device, you're going to be really, really interested. In yeah, that. For sure. and, and you'd certainly, uh, you know, consider paying for uh, an app that helps to lighten up that load. So, yep. and yeah, I think I mean it, it's probably just another thing that will, uh, you know, push our main news providers into uh, into putting paywalls up. And I'll be curious just to see, you know, what that does for their business and what what sort of flow on effect it has for smaller publishers mm. uh, you know if they're yeah, losing revenue from an advertising perspective or whether actually they're getting uh, increased visits because you know people are maybe avoiding some of the uh, the bigger publishers yeah so yeah I think some fascinating times ahead in the uh, the online publishing space uh, now in in local news we heard on on Friday there was a, an interesting turn of events actually uh, on on Friday uh, where the National Business Review where uh, NBR in their print edition published an article about uh, Mako networks and uh, Mako networks have developed some some great uh, firewall technology. They've been around uh, for, um, I guess, in the in the direction of uh, in the direction of a decade. And this article was uh, you know was was talking to them about their success and you know how things were going. And it was a, you know very much an upbeat article. Um, but you know shortly after that, I guess, being delivered to people, uh, it became clear that actually Mako weren't in a good state and um, Friday the, they pulled a plug on uh, on Mako Networks and um, yeah, the, the company's gone into uh, into receivership which is the, the current state. Uh, most of, or I think all of the staff were, were basically uh, laid off immediately uh, and um, you know what I was told uh, today uh, talking uh, with a representative of Mako uh, is that uh, yeah the, the things are being now handled um, by the receiver uh, Mentha are um, you know are, are managing things and deciding where to from here but there was at least somebody uh, I think one of the founders in the office uh, today uh, who was answering the phone and so for people that are using uh, Mako's products and you know what they're known for uh, is their managed firewall products which uh, you know, certainly had a you know a, a market share here in New Zealand. They had a partnership with uh, with Spark, and they were pushing very very hard in sort of a startup mode, I guess, into the US, and had been signing up varying partnerships as well as operating in um, in other markets as well around the world. But the US seemed to be a heavy focus uh, for them, and it looked as though uh, you know they were really making some headway. But uh, I guess being a, a startup, you need to be extremely well well funded. And uh, yeah, they um, they weren't earning, I guess, quite as quickly as they were uh, they were spending. So uh, the last uh, report we've heard in terms of what they owed, uh, the big number was that um, it's been quoted, and this this is in the um, in the Herald 
yesterday that Spark were owed twenty six million dollars by uh, by by Mako. So um, yeah, I've been I've asked them a few more questions because Spark have a um, uh, a leasing division that they were just selling off, and this looked like it was sort of you know tied in around a, a sort of lease agreement for uh, for equipment. Uh, so I'm not quite sure where that uh, number falls and whether that's actually accurate, but um, yeah, that's quite a quite a chunk of um, uh, debt to be leaving behind, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, a couple, just a couple of points from me. I, I'm, not, I'm I, well, I haven't dealt with dealt with Mako at all, but um, I saw what looked like a you know really decent pi- decent looking pipeline of deals out of the US and so on. So mm. you know, it's 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 unfortunate, I guess, that they just you know, I'm, I'm assuming had too much debt to to survive um and i mean from here a sale of assets i imagine get yeah, realize I mean, it, the value that you can it it seems like uh with, with mako you know they have some great technology and, and they offer a, a sort of a, a managed firewall platform that customers pay uh you know pay annual fees to to access that uh, that capability um you know it seems to be a really really smart uh product uh, I've certainly used their products uh, in the past, and and you know still do uh, today. In some cases, uh, they'd signed up this big arrangement with uh, with Spark, where Spark you know bought some of their uh, their technology and licensed it for uh, for use of their customers. Uh, but you know, as far as I can tell, all of those things are still going on. So you know, Spark customers that have their uh, their product, which Spark have. Um, um, yeah, re, re, rebranded uh, some of the uh, product under their Secure Me service, which is a, a security sort of VPN um, type offering, managed firewall, and so on. Uh, as far as I can tell, all that stuff's still going. And uh, yeah, talking to Mako today, uh, they you know they they're still able to uh, to provide a level of support. And for customers who maybe need uh, renewal of of their uh, subscriptions and so on, uh, they're able to assist uh, with that. So you know everything's still working, and it seems to me like there's enough uh, there'd be enough revenue that comes out of that existing customer base uh, that you know there's a potential for something to uh, to keep going there. But it's all a little bit up in the air for uh, for the next few days until uh, the receivers work out you know just what to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty sad. But pretty sad. you know, I think it's it's a reality. The risks associated with startups, and you know, there's there's a fair uh, there's a fair degree of uh, of risk for for everyone involved, for you know, in, investors and partners and uh, uh, and the staff. So you know, really really sad to hear. You know, I think uh, you know, thirty nine um, you know staff that have uh, you know at this stage uh, have um, have have lost their. Uh, employment, but uh, you know, hopefully there will be uh, something that will will come out of it in terms of an ongoing uh, entity that is viable. So we, we'll we'll hopefully hear that um, you know reasonably sharply. Um, that it won't take too long for them to work out where to from here. Uh, now, other happenings in terms of uh, shutdowns, uh, Patty. We heard uh, I think it was last week. Uh, Video Easy and um, uh, Easy Flix. Well, it was Easy Flix, and then they. Uh, they, which is a subscription uh, video. No, it wasn't a no, subscription pay, video. It was a pay per view uh, online video service uh, that also was made available in New Zealand with with Video Easy branding. Uh, that one has uh, has shut down. So obviously, sort of didn't uh, didn't quite gain the uh, the traction that they were they were looking for. It certainly wasn't a service we heard much of. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're 
sort of marketing strategy was, but I guess there's a sort of a, an inherent conflict there with between the bricks and mortar stores and the you know the online side of things. So I don't know how heavily they they pushed the the online side side of things. Well, if you're relying on uh, you know DVD stores to uh, to promote your product, uh, um, I don't know how hard those stores would have been would have been pushing it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Mm. I think the other point is, I mean, you have two two fundamentally different models that are available here to for sort of consuming content online one is the pay-per-view model which is an itunes and a google play and so on but if you look at itunes and you know that's very much part of the whole sort of uh, mac and 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 apple environment that's and right. you know you can it's tied in with the apple tv and 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 ipads and all sorts of things like that so there's a whole sort of ecosystem there if you like that that, that and it's not apple's only play obviously far from it um, and with Google, it's not quite the same, but it's you know similar-ish, I think, in in, in for Google Play. Uh, so those two those two services, you you don't see any sort of huge issues uh, with. But when that's your only um, you know your only play in, in 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 the area, then I think things get quite quite tough. I think the other yeah, I can't imagine there would have been too many customers that were looking around for that type of service because there are so many offerings, and you know Microsoft have had their um, you know their Xbox uh, video service yeah. as well. Yeah, um, so. You know, pretty much whatever platform you know you were on in terms of devices, there was something pay per view that was already there. Yeah. Uh, you know, the I guess most of the uh, you know the innovation has more, really been around those subscription you know services. Yeah. Well, I think there are a couple more couple more points. One one thing it highlights as well is the importance of having a, a you know a full. Uh, a sort of a, a mature uh, platform, so Video Easy and Easy Flix were not available on ga- uh, on the game consoles, and I think they were on Samsung TV, but weren't on the other TVs. So you know, straight away, your target market is 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 hugely limited by just not being available on on all of those that you know that range of devices. That's one point, and the second thing is to say that you know I think one of their one of their major selling points was you know you, you're not tied into any kind of contract because you're you know you just pay as you go. Now that sounds that sounds quite good on the face of it, but when actually what you're saying is, uh, you know, that's up against a twelve ninety nine a month or something like that month to month. Well, people are pretty happy to be tied into a, a twelve ninety nine for you know month one month, month at a time. Exactly, yeah, that's yeah. not a that's not a serious uh, a serious contract. And Compet- not a big as, competitive as advantage. Is exactly. It? Yeah. And the other point is uh, the final point on this um, is you know Quick Fix. We offer pay per view movies, but our pay per views are only uh, or pretty much only brand new release movies. So you can't get those. Brand Brand new release movies uh, in any subscription catalogue um, in New Zealand at the moment. So the studios dictate that the first six or twelve months of a, of a, a brand new movies, a new release movies life is as a pay per view. So if you want to carry them, you offer them as a pay per view. So we've you know, Fast and Furious Seven just went up last week, for example. Uh, you know, Avengers: Age of Ultron coming and the Minions movie. All it's great to have those, mm, um, mm. and I think people understand that the new release movie. You know, those are pay per views. But when when your model is actually entirely pay per view and actually back catalogue movies are also as pay-per-views, well, that's where people kind of expect to see them a bit, or, well, see them more yeah. in, in a subscription Covered catalog. in a subscription exactly basis, right. and you get so a lot I more think bang that, for your buck. I, yeah. think, that's, I yeah. think that's, that's yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it is a challenging space to be in. You know, it's it's great that we've got, a you know, a, a selection of services here, you know, in New Zealand. I think, you know, I think I've said before, look, you know, get out there and support the services that we've that we've got. And, you know, over time, you know, the catalogs improve, think, you know, things get better from that perspective uh but you know if we don't support them then you know we'll we'll end up with probably just a you know some international service that you know maybe isn't uh 
um, supportive of some of our local content and, and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah. Just one final point on this, though. You talk about mm. the market developing and stuff. Mm. I remember when I did my first New Zealand tech podcast, Paul, it was, it was about three years ago. I remember it was about episode 100 and we're, what did you say, 245 today? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, that's about three years. That feels about right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, we were the only guys here. That's so, right. you know, now we're talking about, you know, Netflix is here and Neon and Lightbox and all the rest of it. Those are the subscription guys. And I don't think Google Play were doing their thing three years mm. ago, probably mm. in New Zealand anyway. Way. iTunes still doesn't offer TV, but you know we're in a market now where you can pretty much get get everything legitimately. That's right, uh, and uh, that's know, a good I'm, thing. I remember you, uh, you know, you saying when you know when when some of the other uh, you know companies did announce, uh, you were saying, oh, we were surprised it actually took took so long for others to uh, you know others to come into the market. You thought there'd be a bit more competition uh, sooner, so, sooner. Yeah. Um, but I guess you know that time. Uh, you know, has given you a bit of a chance to sort of, you know, make sure you got apps across all the varying platforms and so on, yep. and uh, um, you know, keep keep maturing. So, yep. no, it's it's good to see things uh, continue to to tick along there, uh, Patty. Now on to um, on to the, the we we chatted about this net last week, but I'm kind of curious for your thoughts uh, on it. Is the the, the so called Netflix tax? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this this concept of uh, you know, consumers having to pay GST on online services that they might subscribe to. Yeah. Um, you know, what's what's your take on that? You know, obviously there's a, there's a competitive angle, so you you know you're going to yeah, have nice your, to see your, a, a, your 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 um you know perspective, but yeah, you know, I'm yeah. Ke- I'm keen to hear it. Well, I, look, I mean, I think the starting point is that it's nice to to see what I, I hope when this uh you know when this comes in, what will be a, a level playing field for everyone. It feels like if we're competing with, you know, one hand tied behind our backs, then that's that's harsh. Um, so level playing field is a good thing. That's a starting point. I read uh, that the government's missing out on $180 million a year at the, at the moment. So, you know, presumably that'll be $180 million a year that they won't need to find from, you know, somewhere else. From us taxpayers. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, happy with all of that too. Um, so... I think I think the main thing is you look at this as a, a just as a sort of a concept, and you should say, well, if you're making money in New Zealand, you should be paying tax in New Zealand. I mean, that just feels right to me. Yeah, I um, mean, it, it, it seems to me that uh, you know the 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 price point is unlikely to change for for Netflix. You know, they've priced and you know and uh, and other products, but you know, we look at Netflix yep. uh, for example because it lines up with with uh, you know what you're doing with Quickflix. Um, you know, they've got their mid price point. I think is, is twelve dollars yep, ninety nine right. a month. Um, your price is the same. I think Lightbox are, are, are at that point as well. Um, it would seem that's about the right price point for the you know for a subscription uh, you know video service, and so it seems unlikely they're going to pop fifteen percent on top of that. What they're going to start doing is actually just just paying you know paying the tax yep. uh, like you are and 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 what uh, uh, Lightbox would be doing. So you know I mean for us as a country, I think you know. The impact in that case is, is only good because, as you say, um, you know if they're paying their fair share, then it, it doesn't have to uh, it doesn't have to come from from uh, from anywhere else. It just goes back into our economy. I think that's right. And wh- you know when you look at closely at the sort of the footer in in an e- in their email, and it's and actually you're dealing with you know a Netflix company out of Holland or wherever it is, and it, and they're structuring things in a certain way to be tax efficient. You know, there's a difference, I guess, between tax efficiency and uh, you know tax avoidance, I suppose. And uh, you know sometimes I, I would think that's a fine line. But you know, as I say, I just it just feels to me that if you're if you're doing business here and you're making money here, then you should be paying tax here. Um, so you know, the other thing that highlights though that, that's interesting, and you know, I've come across this in in other areas just just 
through my involvement with QuickFlix, is, is just where legislation is behind technology. You know, GST, I guess, was, or uh, I know VAT in, you know, in England when I first came across this, it's, it's all the same. But that, would, that started off with, you know, manufacturing of physical goods and things like that. And, you know, it's a question of actually just, just being able to uh, acknowledge changes and acknowledge the te- technology and the effect that that has on us and, uh, you know, uh, keep things up to date ac- accordingly. Mm. Uh, now, just jumping on to a topic we discussed last week, which was the TPP or the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership, the trade deal that uh, New Zealand is, um, you know, is considering along with uh, um, a bunch of other customers. It was something that we, I dived into and, and discussed last week with uh, Bill Bennett on, on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Um, since that time, Bill's put up an article, uh, billbennett.co.nz, uh, on the subject, and uh, yeah, he he's referenced um, uh, back to something that the um, that uh, Paul uh, Matthews has has put up uh, um, on the on his uh, tech blog there, um, which is sort of it's really indicating um, a, a bit more of a, a continuation of one of the points we discussed last week. Which is that the government are um, are assuring us that um, well what, he, what his statement reads this we've received absolute assurances that nothing in the TPP will impact New Zealand's current legal and policy position in relation to software patents. Um, so that was where there, you know there was really some uh, some concern that the the patent law. Uh, you know, might change. So, yeah, I think that's pretty positive. But to, to read a bit more on that, uh, jump on to um, onto Bill's Bill's blog, and uh, and you can catch that that detail. Uh, now, moving moving right along, um, we've seen uh, late last week uh, some news come through around uh, a new e ink touch display a flexible uh screen now this sounds like a pretty cool idea patty the idea that you could be wearing you know some sort of wearable um that is is um yeah a full a full touch screen you can bend it and do whatever you want with it and it's pretty uh pretty robust and uh being e-ink that uh you don't need a massive amount of uh you know power to actually uh run it so uh, look I'm, I'm a bit of a a, a novice here um talk talk to me about first of all about the 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 wearable side of it i would have thought that more interesting is something like a sort of a tablet size thing that you can roll up into a you know so that kind and of that's thing certain, that sort of thing certainly been mooted in the past you know yep. i guess a, you know if you could roll up a tablet and uh, or fold it up and put yep. it in your pocket yeah pretty cool uh, much smaller that, that that could be good i'm not sure quite how flexible the technology is yet whether you can yep. quite uh, fold it up like a bit of paper and uh, you know put it in your pocket and then fold it out later later on and i'm looking at your snazzy watch paul as we speak here and uh, which is a, a, a very nice looking uh, looking thing there. And my question is, do, do, I mean, that's got a that's a, a you know that's the, that's an Apple Watch, and it's got a completely flat surface. You know, what's the benefit of certainly in a wearable sense of having it able to bend, you know, more than a little bit? And secondly, uh, e ink. I, I understand that to be sort of you know uh, used by the, the sort of e, e e readers and things like that for sort of you know basically black and white stuff or what i'd call black and white stuff yeah so, well the interesting thing is that um the the they what's been talked about or shown off at the moment is starting off with black and white display mm-hmm. uh, but we are starting to see e-ink color displays and okay um to explain you know e-ink it's you know it's a totally different type of technology but you know it, it's a little bit like ink once the image is there on the display if the image isn't changing 
then it you know basically doesn't require you know power to to keep that image there or you know pretty much just just stay there. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, whereas our normal uh, displays, you know, they're light emitting, and you know, you need a you need a fair bit of power to keep them on. So you know, you mentioned my Apple Watch. Well, that screen is off most of the time, right, to save the power. And then when I you know flick my wrist around. Hopefully it, wake, it, wake, it wakes up, uh, and you know these technologies vary in terms of how good they are at picking up your motion and waking up, and how long they take, and so on. So, you know, a nice thing about that e-ink display is you can, you know, you can leave uh, something on the screen. Now, uh, you know, Pebble use that e-ink with their watches, um, and their latest one uses color uh, color e-ink display. And that's you know very efficient. So you can have a you know a battery life of a week, for instance. So yeah. um, some really interesting things. Yeah, there. that sounds good. The, the curvature, I guess, if you're wearing something that goes around your you know around your wrist, uh, then curve could you know be good. having having that sort of curvature can be helpful. And you know we've already seen that uh, in uh, in you know Sam Samsung's um, uh, devices. They've already uh, done that. Um, and I think we'll, you know we'll see more of that. But the idea mm. of something that's actually you know flexible. Um, so you could you could have uh, you know really the the display attached to the to the band, or you can have a display that goes right around your wrist. Even yep. uh, you know they had examples of you know varying patterns and sort of you know I guess uh, you know it becomes sort of an a fashion accessory really, where the, you know what's displayed can fit in with what you're wearing. So there's a, a stylistic element to it. So yeah, I, cool. I think it'll be curious to see uh, you know just how that actually develops over the you know over the ne- over the next year or so. Um, but it's always always good to see you know new innovation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now talking of uh, innovation, uh, yesterday uh, Samsung, along with the Ice House, announced a uh, um, a new competition or, or challenge that they're calling um, Samsung Springboard. And this one might be of interest to some of our listeners that are involved in tech startups. Uh, they're really wanting to uh, to to get behind. Uh, those that are launching new uh, tech-related um, businesses in New Zealand uh, with this little contest, so it will give those businesses a chance to to pitch their idea, uh, and then there's a bunch of uh, bunch of people that are going to you know sit through and uh, and then pick out the best of those who are uh, entering the challenge. Uh, the top prize includes thirty thousand uh, dollars cash to go towards um, go towards that uh, that business. Uh, there will be um, a tenancy at the Kiwi Landing Pad in, in San Francisco, uh, in, including associated flights, uh, and there'll be uh, workshops on offer uh, from the Ice House. So, yeah, it looks like uh, looks like quite a good contest. It's um, it's I think it's it's pretty much opening up uh, now, um, so you should be able to find that that stuff uh, online um, by googling Samsung uh, Springboard. So, well worth a look if you're involved in a tech startup or you, you know somebody that uh, that is, if this is, uh, you know, certainly if you're at a reasonably early stage and you could do with a little bit of funding or, or access to uh, mentors and and uh, and so on, um, you know, access into those networks from uh, uh, Samsung and, and, and the Ice House and so on could be, uh, could be useful. Uh, also on their, uh, their panel, they've got uh, uh, Greg Cross, who's the uh, CEO at uh, Power by Proxy, uh, and um, Nano Girl, who regularly features on the show, Michelle Dickinson, who will be uh, part of that judging panel. So, um, yeah, be a, be a good chance for people to uh, uh, polish up their pitching skills and um, and and talk about what they're launching. Yep, sounds good. Yeah. Um, yep, 
fully supportive. So, yeah, I mean, there are more and more of these things becoming available in New Zealand. And one of the things I've, I've found curious in, in the US, actually, was, uh, you know, talking to some of the startups over there, it just seems to be a standard, uh, you know, part and parcel for what they're doing as they go and, and pitch themselves at, you know, varying contests like this. And this isn't the only one I've heard about in, in the last uh, little, little while. Um, that are that are coming together, and um, you know, having having a, a sort of a, a prize pool, uh, you know, some some cash for the winning startup seems quite common. Uh, yeah, one of the startups I met, I think they they won a hundred thousand US dollars in a in a regional uh, startup contest, and that was uh, you know a really great sort of kickstart for them to help them uh, you know get moving, which is uh, it was great. Uh, now, other um, other news, well. Is it news? Windows 95, 20 years 20 old, Paddy. 20 years, I know, amazing. My goodness. That, um, yeah, makes you feel a little bit old, doesn't it, when you can remember it properly, I guess. Yeah, for me, I was just getting into computing at the time. That was the beginning of, of it. Paul, you're, uh, you, you, look, you look as the same age as me, but you're perhaps marginally older. I don't know. How stop well, it, stop how, it. How well do you remember it? <laughs> um, the, the launch of it doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't stick in my in my memory. Maybe I remember some of the earlier versions a, a, a little bit more. Um, but you know, I think the the launch dates probably didn't mean so much. Uh, you know, back then, whereas here, uh, you know, products are available sort of globally at the same time, and uh, you know, we, we're we're tuned to much more media because of the internet and so on than probably what we were back then. So I don't remember a particular day when. Uh, Windows 95 launched you know maybe I wasn't watching the news that day uh, I didn't buy the newspaper I mean we just didn't have access to yeah. the sort of news whereas today we know what's launching when we know you know weeks ahead that you know for instance a new iPhone's coming uh, you know early early in September we'll have that uh, we'll have that announcement um, you know etc so you know we know all these things there's a bit of a build up there's lots of discussion and rumours and so on but you know tech wasn't as mainstream back then as, as what it is now although you know Windows was uh, was pretty mainstream, and certainly ninety five was was really when uh, you know Windows picked up a lot of popularity. Actually, now when I think about it a little bit more, um, I d- with Windows ninety five that was probably a product I had a bit more involvement in behind the scenes. Uh, you mentioned uh, when we were chatting earlier around the Microsoft uh, network, yeah, uh, and actually you know I was. Um, uh, plugged into the the sort of beta test of of Windows ninety five, and their uh, their network, which was uh, uh, for anyone that's heard of CompuServe or what were the other sort of services that were uh, uh, that were that were around at the time. There are various sort of online services, but you know, out of the US, mm. uh, that were really a. a um, an alternative to the internet, but they generally had a level of connectivity yeah. uh, to in, certainly in, you know email or, or other sort of online services. But they were their own sort of uh, walled gardens to a big degree. Uh, but that was something I you know I spent some time on, and uh, actually that was where I came across Yuha, uh, uh, who we've had on the podcast before, and a well-known tech journalist uh, here in New Zealand. He wasn't in New Zealand at the time, but somehow I interacted with him on there. I think he was in Singapore or uh, somewhere else in the world. Uh, but yeah, the, so from that perspective, I did have some involvement, but I certainly I don't remember it actually launching as such. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as, um, you know, I imagine it was an it was an interesting uh, you know time as these online technology started to become much more mainstream. Yeah, there's I just I, I can picture there's an iconic image of um, Bill Gates, a young Bill Gates and Jay Leno 
looking just dodgy as dodgy as you, <laughs> dodgy as you like. Um, I doubt it's their finest uh, photographic moments, but um, yeah. So I remember that, and I yeah I remember the yeah the Microsoft Network, and uh, uh, yeah, it all went from there. I mean, it was that, the launch of the Start menu, wasn't it? They had that's exactly uh, right. the, the yep. Rolling Stones uh, Start yeah, Me start Up me that they, yep. that they uh, uh, licensed that song for uh, for for the launch. And you know, I mean, we got so used to that Start menu, but actually, you know. That was probably something reasonably innovative for Microsoft at the time because they were doing something different from Apple. And I think, you know, before that, uh, you know, Windows was very much considered to be a very poor copy of the Macintosh operating system. It was, you know, it was always a, you know, r- r- yeah, reasonably rough around the edges. I, I guess with Windows 3.1, it wasn't that bad. Um, but, you know, that, that start menu was something different. It made it, you know, easier for you know any member of the public to uh you know to, to to get their way around the computer having that that start menu uh and at the time there you know i guess it made it actually easier in some regards than what the mac was at that stage mm. um which was pretty interesting and you know of course um yeah there's been some interesting uh interesting history since over the last uh 20 years between uh between apple and 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 microsoft and uh, of course, Microsoft investing money to to help uh, you know Apple uh, you know reasonably soon after that because they they were uh, you know virtually um, you know bankrupt mm. and uh, and of course Apple have gone on to uh, such massive success that's yeah. uh, dwarfing uh, Microsoft and their uh, value in, uh, in in recent years. When you think, um, I just saw today as well. Just just um, you know that the next big Microsoft event is Windows 10 smartphone announcement and maybe a Surface Pro 4, that kind of thing in October, you know, with 20 years. And, and you know, it, it is amazing to think about the, the strides that have been taken. The strides and, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, one step forward and two steps back or, 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 or so it seems. Uh, you know, we've, we've just had that start menu reintroduced yeah, right. with yeah. Windows 10, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, is, is, is kind of funny. Um, that uh, yeah, Microsoft tried a different approach, and uh, you know sometimes you know what what we've got used to actually works uh, reasonably well. Maybe it doesn't need to be tweaked quite as as far as uh, as as uh, somebody somewhere imagines. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Looking at, at Windows Ten, we've heard some uh, some some stats around uh, its its market share now. The the figures that I've heard, Microsoft, you know, are, are suggesting there's about one and a half billion uh, machines out there running uh, running Windows itself, varying versions of Windows in terms of you know PCs and laptops and uh, and and, and uh, you know I guess uh, tablets. Uh, it's on now. We're hearing that. Um, the percentage of of those devices, and this is based on online usage statistics rather than Microsoft's own stats, but uh, so it's you know the the online activity. But we're hearing that that figure for Windows 10 is now around seven, uh, somewhere between seven and eight percent of online activity is coming from uh, Windows 10 devices, uh, which is is getting very close to the number of devices that runs uh, Macintosh OS X or OS 10, um, which is interesting to see. So likely over the next uh, you know week or two, we'll see that sort of shoot shoot past and and shoot up. But uh, all indications are that uh, people are pretty happy with Windows 10 and jumping on board with it. Fairly quickly. What's, what's your pick on it, Paddy? Have well, you, I was just going to have a good play with it. Have you jumped on board with Windows no, Ten? I've seen it. I haven't had a good play with it. Um, no, I've got I've got Windows Eight. Um, 
Last time I was on here, by the way, we talked about Windows 9. That was a mistake is when we, when we look back. Well, <laughs> we, we, look we, back we didn't know what it was going to be called, was, didn't we? we? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and that's what everyone you know, presumed yeah. it would be. And yeah. uh, Microsoft did one of those marketing uh, things. And, Thanks, guys. Uh, they could have to- uh, told, told the NZ Tech podcast team, couldn't they? Oh, no. I yeah. Um, but no, look, the answer, so I, I run Windows 8 at the moment on my, on my work PC. Uh, well, my work, it's a Surface Pro uh, I use and, and it works, it works pretty well. I, I don't, I'm not too bothered by the start menu, but uh, Windows 10 looks good. I've seen it. I ha- we, we haven't upgraded to it, but um, uh, my question to you is, do you think, I mean, it, it feels like it's a more enterprise friendly version of, of Windows than, than Windows 8 generally. And I, I imagine that we'll see businesses upgrading much more quickly. I think a lot of businesses have, you know, up until now stayed on Windows 7. Yeah, I mean, there, there has been that, uh, you know, strong leading in business to stay on uh, on Windows 7, you know, despite Windows 8 having, uh, you know, some really great sort of speed improvements and, you know, some other things under the hood just because of that, uh, you know, the, the, the change in the user experience with, with Windows 8. Uh, yeah, a lot of people just weren't comfortable with it. IT departments, you know, find it half hard enough as it is trying to run technology without having to get out there and and you know retrain people in how to use something uh, different. So yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be there is a pretty broad interest in Windows uh, 10 from a business perspective. There's some nice improvements, of, you know, from a security perspective, and you know that's always something that uh, businesses are interested in. Uh, there tends to be a pretty slow cycle for businesses in terms of you know keeping up to date and coming across to the new platforms, but you know, pretty broadly, I'm seeing you know business interest in Windows 10 is very, very strong. Uh, there, you know, there doesn't seem to be much uh, frustration out there around Windows 10. Most people are pretty happy with the moves Microsoft have made. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I think it's something where, where that adoption will will probably keep growing. You know, pretty quickly for uh, you know they, they're giving it away free to consumers for the first year or for those with. Um, the the you know the home and the pro versions of, of Windows 10 and you know, businesses tend to be running the enterprise versions of of Windows uh, certainly larger businesses because that offers them you know much better security and the extra compatibility capabilities and so on that are that are built in mm. um, so you know for them there there isn't a, there isn't a huge cost to make that transition and there's not a you know a massive amount of training that needs to go with it so you know I, th- I think um, yeah, Microsoft's goal, what I think it's a billion users that they're trying to get within the first two to three years. Um, yeah, it's probably not going to be a, a, yeah, too much of a problem for them to uh, to hit that user base with Windows 10. It's quite interesting as well the um, the way different different organisations go uh, in terms of trying to get people to upgrade. Um, I don't have a, a lot more on, on that, but I, I, I just remember I read an article once and I haven't retained the details, unfortunately. But um, it was about op, uh, upgrading, for example, uh, Android and uh, as against uh, iOS and, and, you know, Windows is a slightly different beast. But, you know, just the, the, way, the way in which you go about getting those, those users to upgrade is, is pretty interesting. And I think Android's a lot more fragmented, for example. Yeah, and that has been a, you know, a challenge with Android in the past. And, you know, I, I, you know, I hope we see that you know, improve and they become more, uh, you know, competitive in those regards. It's, you know, it's still a challenge, uh, you know, with the with uh, Windows really as, as people move into 10, uh, consumers certainly will get into that continuous upgrade cycle. Businesses have a little bit of flexibility about, you know, how and when they roll out some of those updates. Um, but yeah, that's certainly something to be, that's something to be aware of. So, um, but yeah, go, going forward, Good, yeah, good to see, um, uh, you know, Windows 10 
here on the um, yeah PCs and laptops, Windows Phone. Yeah, that'll be. Uh, I think that'll hopefully be positive for most users. The current sort of you know beta or, or you know um, developer builds of Windows 10, I'm still finding you know on current devices uh, a little bit laggy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a super smooth experience yet. Um, so I, you know I hope Microsoft will be able to solve that by launch time. Uh, that said, they had issues with Windows 10 until we got you know very very close to uh, launch. Uh, before they really smoothed out all of the all of the the, the kinks and, and and wrinkles there, so um, yeah, I'm reasonably positive that they'll uh, they'll have a, a pretty good release. Mm. Uh, now, a couple of other things to uh, to chat about. Um, this was actually something I forgot to mention over the last week or two was uh, uh, Network for Learning, which is um, yeah, the, the government entity that's um, uh, tasked with with rolling out a uh, uh, a network to connect um, uh, schools together. They've got you know a whole lot of content uh, specifically for uh, schools with with their portal, uh, and they also provide schools with free uh, internet connectivity. So they've they've announced that they've hit uh, two thousand schools now nationwide. Uh, have joined their network. Um, if anyone's involved in a school that hasn't joined the network for learning, um, it's really worth asking why your school's not on board because they get they basically get free unlimited uh, internet access. So um, you know that's that's a pretty enticing reason if there uh, you know ever was one. So uh, you know if if your your uh, school uh, you know isn't as far down that track, isn't hooked in for network for to network for learning. Uh, yeah, well, well worth looking into it. I mean, I don't think there's probably. I certainly haven't heard of any, uh, you know, any downsides for, uh, for for getting a school connected up. Sounds great to me. I mean, I you know, again, I, I read read about this, but um, don't know a, a lot about it personally. Except that, as you say, it, it's un- completely uncapped, and uh, I, you know, I think centrally managed. So you're you're saying that there's going to be a level of complexity removed, and costs are going to be reduced. And I think the other point that I, that I picked up on was that um, you know, educators themselves can sort of interact with each other. Uh, all of which just sounds great, and I mean, as you say, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I know. I think it's uh, it's good stuff. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll yeah, they'll be um, you know having that that network element. They'll be able to uh, you know promote uh, you know varying um, uh, you know content that uh, that they produce or, or or collate as well. So yeah, some good stuff going on there. Uh, now I mentioned earlier uh, um, Owen Williams and and one of his articles on the the next web. Um, the other piece that I wanted to mention, and uh, he put this up online over the weekend, uh, is that uh, in the Netherlands, uh, where, he, where he's currently based, um, a, um, some self-driving uh, shuttle buses are going to be uh, um, launched on a... Um, I guess on a trial basis, but there's a really good uh, video that he's got up um, on uh, on this article on on the next web. Uh, I'll try and put a link up uh, to it as well with the um, with the notes from this episode at nztechpodcast.com. Um, so yeah, well, well worth a look if you're interested in that. I mean, we've heard a lot around you know autonomous vehicles mm. of varying sorts, from you know our cars all becoming uh, autonomous to uh, you know trucks basically putting uh, you know truckies uh, you know out of out of work over over the next uh, you know few years ahead. Um, but yeah, this one this one's curious because it, it's not just some you know research project that's that's not real. Um, we're going to see, or that they will see in the Netherlands, that um, this um, these these buses or, or little they're little shuttles actually. They they look uh, um, you know pretty small, but um, they're going to be doing a, 
a um, an 11 kilometer uh, route. Interestingly, they're going uh, pretty slow at this stage, 25 uh, kilometers an hour, so so not super fast. But um, yeah, you can go online and uh, and see the video and and uh, watch just just how it uh, how it works. They're spending uh, three and a half million euros on the project, so you know it's not a crazy uh, big amount of pretty money. Cheap. Yeah. Question: um, um, Are they are they like some sort of um, Oh, you were showing me the picture, which our listeners can't benefit from. But uh, <laughs> are they on some kind of rail or track, or is there some kind of slot or, or no, or no, something? no, no, not at all. So, so, how, um, so I mean, they're not getting let loose among the normal traffic. Uh, there are parts where they go onto the onto the normal road, really, and, and uh, you know, in the video, you can see how they. Uh, dodge of you know there's there's a vehicle uh, in front of the shuttle that uh, stops on the side of the road which they happen to be following uh, and it figures it out and you know just quickly drives around it uh, the, the you know the beginning um, you will see at the top of the article is is, is somebody who's uh, you know walking across the path of the shuttle and looking uh, looking down at their their smartphone and uh, you know ignoring that there might be traffic coming at Headphones them in or something and yeah. uh, you know and I guess with these electric vehicles also you know they're very very quiet. So so, um, you know, from a safety perspective, as we move to more ele- uh, electric vehicles, uh, a vehicle that's smart enough to know there's somebody actually walking in front and not running them over is, is kind of a good thing. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are, I think there are lots of positives, you know, ahead as we, uh, you know, we see vehicles move electric and, and build in more of those autonomous types of uh, capabilities. But, you know, this one is really curious because it's actually, you know, this is a, this is a real world uh, thing, which we haven't, you know, heard much of other than those sort of, uh, you know, samples and things that are going on uh, in the US with, with Google and, you know, other things around the Silicon Valley area. So, mm. um, yeah, quite, yeah, great. quite fascinating. So, uh, yeah, good stuff there. Well, I think that uh, that wraps us up for uh, for this week. So, thank you, Patty, very much for uh, for coming in and yeah, joining me. Yeah, no problems at all. Great to be back. Now, where do people track you down? Are you uh, on Twitter from time to time, aren't you? from time to time, yep. So, yep. you can find me at Paddy Buckley. Okay. Yep. Good stuff. Um, and people can find me at Paul Spain on Twitter, or you can get me across the um, you know, varying social networks. Um, now, I would just like to say um, we do very much, I do very much enjoy hearing from uh, from listeners. If you've got suggestions on topics that you would like to hear us uh, discuss on the podcast, then then please do so. Uh, we've certainly had a few of those um, coming through in, in, in recent weeks. So, you know, thank you to uh, those listeners that are getting in touch, or if you've got any feedback, feedback negative or positive um hey look lo- love to hear from you uh you know this show is meant to be here so you know listeners can uh uh you know you, you can hear what you want to hear so feel free to, f- to fire that uh, feedback um and you can reach me if you want to reach me directly uh paul.spain at globalvoicemedia.com uh, and if you want to look up my uh, my business, gorillatechnology.com is the uh, is a place where you can find out about Gorilla if you need some uh, some help with uh, the IT within your small business or your not-for-profit. All right, well, that's us for this week. Thank you, everybody, very much for listening in. Uh, and we'll catch you again next week. And, of course, you can find more podcasts at podcasts.co.nz. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.